This is Derek Moyer, and welcome to the Freedom Fighter Podcast. So, welcome back, guys, to the Freedom Fighter Podcast. I hope you're all well. It's my great privilege this week to introduce new friends to the podcast for Dublin, Finton and Elaine Supple, uh, who both contributed powerfully to our recent retreat on fighting for the hearts of your children. That was four weeks ago tomorrow. Guys, do you remember being at that retreat? <laughs> a distant memory at this stage. So much of life has happened since then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weather life. has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Aye, so thank you for coming uh, and sharing with us. Really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, I know those that are listening will be really blessed. Um, but just before we start, we're just going to have a wee pause, um, a wee breath, just to demonstrate this, to become present, to give our souls space, to recenter before we go into this discussion. So I'm just going to play a wee bit of quiet music and take a breath with us. to release all of our day whenever you're listening to this. To become present and relax. As we relax, just praying, believing for a spiritual injection of hope, a spiritual injection of healing and strength. Courage and light that leads to life.
Oh, amazing. Two and a half minutes can do. <laughs> oh, thank, thank, uh, thank God for John, um, who might be listening at some point, uh, who's been spearheading this movement to take a breath. Mm-hmm. It is revolutionary in this madness of the world we're living in. Even though we're, people are listening to maybe through their phones or some device, you know, we can take the reins back and, you know, live at a pace that is sustainable in this constant stimulation that, that we're all faced with. Mm-hmm. Mm, and just hearing that music, it's like, you know, we're used to going down the white water rapids. Mm. But that water is this, you know, calm space that we offer ourselves. So thank you for doing that. No problem. So, you both contributed so powerfully in this very unique event we've done to have people who had the courage to come and actually reflect and explore how they experienced parenting and then how that has led to how they have performed or are performing. So, you know, it, it was a bit of a blessing that Finton's session on around how how we have experienced parenting, you know, we never managed to record it. So it's led for us four weeks later to sit here now more calm, more rested, where all the, the newness of that experience has has uh, settled and we're able to reflect uh, and really get to the meat of how does our parenting experience impact how we've performed as parent, uh, parents? Fitton? <laughs> no yeah, pressure. well, first of, all, first of all, you know, what a great experience it was to be with you and... Mm-hmm. It was and, amazing. And all those that joined, uh, that was a very special experience, you know, those four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a little gift to us to do uh, that work together. And, you know, that question of, you know, our parenting experience and how it impacts um, how we perform as parents, you know, it's like such a deep topic. And, you know, where do you even start uh when you think of that as a topic, you know, it's, it's, it's such a vast um, period of time uh, for most people of, of that experience of, you know, being parented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sometimes many years later, you know, the beginning of being a parent and uh, you know, what we said, you know, a few weeks ago is that there's, so, there's something so significant in how we experience our first attachments with parents mm-hmm. and um, the experience that we have. And it, it's, you know, how we experience that connection with our own primary caregivers, most often our parents, uh, how that significantly informs how we will connect connect with another person and in an intimate relationship mm-hmm. uh, and those that come you know into our lives as our children you know it's kind of predicated by what our experience is mm-hmm. simple as that mm-hmm. and 
you know, even having that awareness mm-hmm. is a really significant thing. So I think I think the very first place to kind of land on, mm-hmm. as I think about it, is, you know, we're, we're emotional beings, mm-hmm. and we need to understand our emotional landscape, the the landscape of our hearts. Uh, what is driving us, what's driving our, our thinking and our behavior. And it's only really then once we've understood those things and, and, and why we respond and react to different things and why we think certain things that we can actually look at how we, what we're doing with others, how we relate to others, mm-hmm. you know. I think it's, that's a, an easy entry point for mm-hmm. us to start examining because, yeah, we're, we're, our, our emotional landscape is often very foreign to us, or at least we're stunted mm-hmm. in how much we can describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, can I what just, would you say, Elaine? I was going to just say, Fenton, some that prof- that jumped out at me, some profound that you said to me was about the experience you had at the Becoming Good Soil. And you were communicating something that just struck me and set, it stunned me. Literally, mm. just to the realization of this: uh, what's happened to us when we were children has impacted everything. And you and you mentioned this fella's experience over mm. there. That just it was almost like the realization of that that people what you're saying there to to not under, to not actually piece this together is half the battle. We're under the spell of. You know, us just continuing to reproduce things, but never having the the, the help to to get that understanding you're talking about, to gain that light that goes. Excuse me, you're being like this because of. You know. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's because we're all adult children, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we we have we've kind of forgotten about young. Mm-hmm. parts of ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah i think when i was sharing you sharing that picture with you from become good soil it's that sense of sometimes you know you might get a glimpse of somebody and you kind of go gosh i can see the young person in him mm-hmm. and he is frightened you know and getting that revelation for somebody or or for yourself and then being able to invite god into that and jesus you know his ministry is all about going after that the restoration of the heart the revelation to somebody of that part. That's the lost sheep in some ways he's going after. And he will continue to go after that part through all of our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's often that that young, young place in us that, um, yeah, has been deeply hurt, deeply shamed, deeply wounded. Mm-hmm. That, um, that has, yeah, really impacted us in our behavior as adults and, and how we how we care for ourselves, how we manage our emotions, you know, and our thinking. Mm-hmm. What about you, Elaine? What, what do you, how do you, what came up for you hearing that there? What came up? Um, yeah, I know for me, um, uh, so, well, it's, it's probably better to kind of start, for me it's better to start with um, just thinking about how emotion was handled in my own family growing up. It's it's a great question. How how was emotion handled in your family? Mm-hmm. Or a great question in regards to tuning in to these parts for ourselves, you know, um, to get to understand them, you know, well, you know, maybe what emotion was not 
allowed in your family growing up. And I know for me, one of the emotions that was not allowed in my family growing up um, was anger. Mm -hmm. And there was a good reason for that because my, 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 my mother, when she was growing up, um, unfortunately, you know, her own mother um, experienced a lot of pressure with six kids and a very small home, very little money, mm -hmm. you know, and her own mother would just, you know, I suppose lose a sense of control and everyone would be, you know, that anger would then be released um, out on whoever was standing around. Mm -hmm. And that's that was my mom's first experience of anger. So, of course, my mom then, you know, in her kind of, you know, focus and her well-intentioned um you know effort with us was going okay well you know we're not going to have anger in our family mm. now we now understand emotions a lot more and we know that actually emotions are a gift and god has actually given us emotions as a gift mm. and that anger like healthy anger there's a thing there is a thing that uh, called healthy anger and toxic anger mm. and healthy anger is is it's we're, we're meant to connect with it and meant to be able to process to process it and then use it in a wise way. Mm. So healthy anger would be, you know, um, anger is actually there to defend our value. It's there to give us the energy and the focus to put down good boundaries. And mm. um, and then unfortunately, because my mom didn't allow me to, you know, connect with my own anger, mm. unfortunately that left me very unskilled in my own connection to my anger, being able to put down good boundaries with people. Mm. Um, it not only impacted my own life in my relationships, it meant, um, unfortunately in my case, it meant that in a lot of my personal relationships, um, I ended up experiencing a lot of hidden resentment, um, even though, you know, outwardly I would be very, very connected with people and very loving and very Christian. Underneath it, there would be this resentment because I was allowing people to overstep my boundary all the time. Mm -hmm. And so the knock-on effect, of course, to my mom, um, having that you know that unawareness of how important it is for us to connect to our, to our emotions, mm -hmm. uh, led to that. But it also then led on to what we were talking about on, on this retreat. Mm -hmm. It also led me as a parent to really not be able to navigate or be able to handle um, really anger within you know our own family. Mm -hmm. um, and only recently, um, I. You know, I needed to go to one of our children, one of our teenage children, and apologize and say, I am so sorry that I've only just learned about, you know, how to process and connect my own anger. And 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 I really didn't help you do that for yourself. And that has had repercussions in, you know, in that, in that you know, child's life in our family, um, which she has now, thank God, been to counseling um, and has worked through that. But this is how... Being able to look at our own interior life, how we manage our emotions is is, uh, is key to us then being parents who God wants us to be to our own children. Mm -hmm. Can I just say thank you? Uh, because you were, you were the first when I went and met you in Dublin after John invited us over. Um, and you, you shared some of this stuff. I'm thinking, I have never heard someone with the courage to actually own their stuff and then be able to share and shine a light that then gave me hope that I'm saying, how do I know to reproduce what's happened to me? How do I know not reproduce this emotional mm -hmm. dysfunction, this emotional 
illiteracy and, you know, step out of my emotional incarceration. You know, that that thing about being so locked up and like a caged animal that then just is expressing frustration because I've not learned how to properly release, express, value, you know, or just acknowledge that this is important. Uh, and uh, you mentioned something as well, uh, Fintan, about the soul, uh, the emotion words, mm. and how we, we can be so, um, the soul words, that you that we can be so stuck on like three or four definitions of, <laughs> how helpful is that with, you, with your own, and uh, your own progress? Yeah, you know, I think emotional illiteracy or whatever we want to call it, you know, it's it's certainly something that I'd never realised, you know, you're tied to four or five words to describe, you know, you're happy, you're sad, you're angry, you're afraid, maybe that's that's as much as people can do for themselves. So for me, I think getting a wider vocabulary can be such a, a, a helpful thing in, in my story. You know, certainly the topic of being alone, um, and I'm looking at the soul words as I say this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, isolated, cut off, mm-hmm. um, disconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, they speak pretty strongly, and I think you know maybe from that beliefs of being unwanted, uh, not because I had bad parents, but because of being the eldest and where I lived at the top of a cul-de-sac and. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to go and find friends. And, you know, I was definitely moving away from the discomfort of, well, now I know, isolation. Mm. Um, And looking at how that impacted my young behavior, which was, I need to connect here because I don't like the feeling that it's giving me Mm -hmm. of being cut off or detached. Mm. And so, you know, I didn't realize it at the time as a child because we go into kind of like this sense of I need to survive, I need to be protected, I need to be fed, mm-hmm. but I need to connect with, with mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And in my early ages, that, that drove me down the road, literally, and connected, connecting with, looking for friends. And ultimately, I, I, I didn't realize it, but that's, I spent a lifetime uh, perfecting that in some ways mm-hmm. because it felt like it was going to help calm that part of me that was restless Mm. which was the opposite, you know, driven away from isolation. So it's like a drivenness, Mm. Mm -hmm. a striving to not feel isolated and therefore to connect. And, you know, lo and behold, my LinkedIn page and Facebook and phone are just full of contacts and people that I've got to know. And, you know, I want to build trust relationships and it's all good, but I didn't know. Uh, But it's so, it's been helpful. Yeah, really helpful to identify uh, a wider set of words that I can make sense mm. and, of what's going on in me. And can I can just reflect back to you with that because you introduced that thought to me and now I'm hearing with a limited vocabulary of what's going on, we misinterpret what's actually happening. Instead of just saying, I'm actually, I need to connect. But I then put that on the I've been abandoned or I'm I'm cut off with people or I'm deserted and then we understand the 
the the how evil comes in and sows a seed along that theme. And that's definitely an important category to, to consider as well. But, you know, I just saw when you said that there, that is what some of our listeners who are hearing our limited vocabulary on communicating what's going on with us can be so easily manipulated because we're misinterpreting. And then the next minute we know we're building this big stronghold, you know, uh, fortress of an issue in our lives, a touchy, sensitive issue in our lives uh, with a lack of understanding. And I think you mentioned, what I, what I got from the two of you was through the love styles um, that you both had grown and taken steps in understanding yourselves. Could you maybe quote that Brenny Brown quote that, that you mentioned, Fintan? to set the scene for that yeah she has a few uh, th that are really good it's you know one of them is don't don't try to forge connection with others or build a culture of connection with others until you're fully connected and know yourself um, and the other one is we, we will do almost anything to not feel pain including causing others pain it's so much easier to hurt than to feel hurt. And we need to understand where the hurt, sorrow, despair, anguish, the rage is coming from so we don't work it out mm -hmm. on our children mm -hmm. wow. or on others. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's such value in understanding our own pain. And, you know, as you were saying, mm. you know, sometimes if we haven't worked out what the words are even around emotions then it's just like this cocktail but we're not quite sure what what it is but it's contributing to it was like creating a wave of energy <laughs> that's got anger in it frustration and abandoned and unwanted or whatever it is it's your personal cocktail of a wave and it creates this energy and then then we're in this energy and unfortunately the experience that other people have of us and that we kind of continue to to kind of you know, bring it forward again mm. because we've received it from somewhere and now this energy is like mm. transferred to us and mm. then we're pushing it on others. There's this whole thing of, mm. well, what what was your parenting experience like and how is it impacting your mm. your experience or your children's experience of you yeah. parenting? Well, you can see, and, and some people react the other way, of course, and mm. do the opposite, but that's also come from a place. Mm. You know, see the joy I've got just sharing here because what is the goal? I mean, this is like I know we've spoken about how daunting this could be. I know how for myself to think about my own experience and then to take ownership of how it's playing out. But it, 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 that could be daunting enough. But then to, to make sense of all this, to try and piece all this again, and keep it simple, to actually say, how, how there are. How is the outworking of this? How does these things outwork? And how, how then can we do the, some simple things to understand our parenting experience, which, you know, which is light, which leads to rest? You know, and I think we've agreed that our, we, we are so committed 
to no no f- carrying the pressure, no no uh, uh, you know striving and driving ourselves. You know, there's this beautiful promise of coming to me. All use her under all these heavy weights and pressures and burdens, the pressure to be a good parent, the pressure that's all on us, and you know to get this rest. And you you have communicated, Fenton, that with that beautiful image of the journey that God used for yourself with finding the ancient paths in relation to everything we're talking about. That there's a Ooh. there is there is a way. There is a way, and then and, and you know that discovery of le- it leading into rest. Um. So, but that first quote for Brené Brown there about you cannot seek connection until you've connected with yourself. Mm-hmm. What can you share a wee bit of the or whatever you feel yourself, Elaine, about the the love styles, the attachment styles? and the change that that brought into your own marriage and family. Yeah. So, yes, so being able to understand your attachment style, there are, you know, different ways of uh, expressing your attachment style. Um, One is a pleaser, avoider, vacillator, um, controller, victim. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very helpful for me to understand that I mainly have a pleaser, avoider, um, um, attachment style and that basically had come from my childhood you know many years ago when I was younger one of the things that really impacted my life was um, you know I had to move around a lot when I was younger and so um, there were many moments where I'd be standing outside a classroom door taking that deep breath wondering how am I going to do this how am I going to fit in Um, and in that moment when I didn't have any other you know adult to help calm my fear one of the things that I came up with was to kind of like if I go in here and I just completely just please people you know be almost comedian like that maybe this would you know help me attach in in a way that would be very kind of that would allow that need to be met to be to be to be known to and to be you know um to belong and and so if you take you know, me at a six-year-old little girl, eight, ten, you know, I started doing this, start going into these environments and finding that when I just smiled all the time, did what other people wanted me to do, that I it gave me a sense of belonging. It met my needs. Um, but unfortunately, one of the things that I sacrificed in getting those needs met in the moment was I sacrificed my true self. Because every time I would agree, just, yeah, yeah, we'll do it your way, or yes, we'll you know, whatever you want. Um, I was never showing up in these places and relationships um, and really offering, you know, my true heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that obviously went from childhood then into adulthood mm-hmm. and then came into my relationship um, with Finton um, and how I related to him. And so the, the, the sacrifice that was being made was really the sacrifice of me not showing up in our marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and how when we would have maybe conflict, that instead of me being able to be in that place, be able to remain calm, be able to speak my truth, mm-hmm. I just hid all my truth, like under the carpet, mm-hmm. and just was was at peace at any cost. Mm-hmm. And then sadly, then that um, does over over time uh, create 
um, well, certainly did between myself and Finton, a an insecure. Um, when we could have had a very, you know, we are we are great people. We 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 love God. We we, you know, we we do a lot of serving. You know, um, uh, service for God and trying to teach our children to love them. But at the same time, you know, this this is one of the things that God was um, asking us to look at. And of course, not only in our relationship, but also um, in how I parented our children as well. There were times where instead of being able to show up in a space with one of my kids and being completely kind of clear and open and honest and assertive, I would back down, you know, I would hide what I truly felt and I wouldn't be able to kind of really bring really uh, at times uh, the truth that God needed to, uh, needed me to, to, to my children's hearts. So how, how did, how has things changed the more understanding because what we're encouraging people to do here is yes. actually the this isn't doesn't need to be daunting it's about yes knowing ourselves coming aware can you share how things began to change when you started to understand because that uh, attachment style it's from love styles mm-hmm. by um People called Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, mm-hmm. and they have a ministry that they run out called um, run out of called How We Love. Mm-hmm. So you'd find the material there, and there's a really good questionnaire quiz mm-hmm. to identify your own love style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you might have done that yourself. I, I've done Eric. that, I, and I, I could share that because I think it, it, it will just reinforce what you were saying, uh, Elaine. You know, when I'd done all these questions. Um, you know, my uh, my sorry, I just had to pause something there. When I done these questions, I was I was you know enlightened. Uh, like just to find out why we've been doing certain things, and we're not going to get into the full content, but the internal family systems that uh, Elaine top from that we'll put up next week with a with a podcast in such a way that it's just so helpful, so clear to help you understand some of these things that we we are so ashamed about and how we've managed and medicated our pain in our lives. There's a reason behind it. So mine mine was the controller and my relating style or my love style and I mean that would uh, for me to get called a control freak and labelled with that. It's shameful. It's touchy. It's sensitive because oh, you, you know that's a bad thing, and I have been called that my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know this definition was so helpful because it come back to say, if you're a controller, you've came from a d- difficult home, uh, um, possibly. Where parents were maybe a source of danger or neglect. They were chaotic homes in a way, and I would say emotionally, that you would there was no way to predict a parent's mood or behaviour. And so there was emotional dysfunction, physical mistreatment. Kids in these homes experienced not a lot of comfort, but maybe a mere, mere terror and humiliation, shame, anxiety, confusion, manipulation, and a host of other negative feelings. 
So I would come into this one. Feisty kids can become controllers, whereas more compliant kids can become victims. So I would say in the, the, the environment I grew up in, that led to the, the formation of that pattern. But here's what helped me the most. Controllers need control to keep vulnerable, difficult emotions experienced in childhood from surfacing in their adult lives. Having control means having protection from the feelings of fear, humiliation and helplessness and uncertainty. The childhood home of the controller was chaotic and volatile so as adults these folks want control because it cre creates predictability. Anger is the one emotion that is not vulnerable so intimidation and anger are often used to keep or regain control. Control may be highly rigid or more sporadic and unpredictable, but, but controllers rarely realise their childhood trauma is the real reason they need to be in charge. <sighs> just, 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 just a, that's a breath of relief there. Because, you know, if you're listening and that's, you can identify and that's been a part of your own life, you know, just to hear that do you understand why? I relate so much with controlling to keep those vulnerable, difficult, painful emotions from surfacing. Keep it away. That you know, make sure everything's predictable. You know, and I could say that in my family line. You know, the things that were just unresolved, unaddressed, un un unconfessed. It's like those things then have such power over my you know, the way I manage and medicate my life and, and wanting this predictability. And I mean, so you guys introduced me to that and I'm going, that is such a revelation, revelation a, a, an epiphany for me that, that, that then is leading to, the more understanding I get, the more kindness, mercy, uh, grace, we can hold our own selves with mm -hmm. mm. and and be able to do that but the i mean to take I, I think for me i would hear people in my younger christian years talk about their how their family's so good and all that and i'm sitting to, couldn't identify in the slightest and i'm going how do you ever get to that how how could you when you've came for such emotional incarceration and, mm. and, and dysfunction but it's like this, isn't it? It's not, you know. When I when I read when I read that, I'm realizing and, and, and experiencing, you know, what you have suggested. This doesn't need to be burdensome. Mm. Jesus's promise is rest from this emotional, uh, you know, pain and pressure, and uh, you know, the the the, uh, the dysfunction. So you're you're further on than, than me than that. So you know, it's a bit. I'd like you know maybe used to just re, re, when you go front. Yeah, when when I hear you read that out, you know about the controller, for example, and I'm thinking of you, and I'm kind of going, you know, this real. As you read it out, it's an acceptance that this happened, mm -hmm. and it's okay. It's not it's not shaming. It's kind of explaining that a controller most likely came from this background in order 
to make it possible to live with those difficult emotions. Mm. And so what's the value of having that revelation and that being identified for a person like you and like me and like Elaine mm -hmm. is that coming back to children and parenting is that when we know that about ourselves and then we can own that part of our story mm -hmm. and we know, for example, our spouse, wife, partners, <laughs> love style, and they have got a sense of revelation. Well, then the two coming together, you see, the issue is also that we bring this into our relationships mm -hmm. of controller or vacillator or avoider. And the children live in the middle of that. They live in what effectively is a core pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and there's a wonderful piece on the How We Love website there for people who've identified like yourself, mm -hmm. Derek, you know, controller, and if you're married to a pleaser or, or an avoider, you can look at the core pattern. Mm -hmm. And when you can see, actually, this is what happens when a vacillator like me, mm -hmm. and a pleaser avoider like Elaine come mm -hmm. together. This is what it looks like most likely in our in our conflict. Mm -hmm. And you see, our children are being raised in the middle of mm -hmm. these two styles coming together. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful thing, I think, to even get to this point of revelation of, oh, that's me. I can own that, and I can see where it came from, mm -hmm. and now I can help disarm that in conflict. Mm -hmm. I can own that. Mm -hmm. And our, and our children, so how does that impact our children? Mm. Well, they can see that something is being disarmed or they have a different experience of us, maybe. Mm. And I think that's a very powerful thing mm -hmm. to, you know, understand the impact of the parenting we received mm -hmm. and what it, how it has brought us to relate in a particular way mm -hmm. and how we can own that in order to create a different experience of how we are connecting with or other half if we have one, mm -hmm. uh, but also our children, because, you know, that's how we're going to relate in conflict with our children. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And really, you know, I'd love to get back over that second quote you said for Brene Brown, but we're already at 40 minutes, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'd love, you know, the injection of hope here, you know, to actually bring something that's not just, theoretical and, and and we don't get it but the injection of uh, hope into people's lives who like yourself Elaine was saying about I've not been allowed these these certain emotions have been absolute banished uh, barred from being expressed or being owned up to to be worked through um, you know so the and in that second quote, the finish what you said about Brene Brown about no passing this stuff on. But can you just say that one more time, please? Yeah, we need to we need to understand where the hurt, sorrow, despair, anguish, the rage is coming from, so we don't work it out on our children and on others. And you know, I think the message of hope is that you know the it, the message of the gospel is that all these places that have caused damage, where we're in disrepair, where we have a lack of healthy attachment. Well, Jesus is all in the business of healing. It's, you know, when he quoted his his mission in Luke 4, um, you know, when he was quoting Isaiah, he, he, he's come, and he's still in the business of doing it, to come and heal the brokenhearted um, uh, and, you know, set the captives free. And I think 
you know, we first need to understand it in ourselves. Um, you uh, know. Yeah, I think for me, when you see Jesus, you know, in the in the scriptures, and he always moved towards the exiled parts of us, and or even clearer again, so he always moved towards people's pain. Mm. Um, and the reality is that although as Christians we know that we want to do that for others, the reality is we have to learn to do that for ourselves first. So we have to learn to move towards our own pain in compassion mm. rather than what we generally do, which is we, you know, we're built as you know, to, to protect ourselves and we don't want to feel that pain. And so part of this healing process, key thing that we're talking about here is really the first step. Obviously, well, really to be honest with you, it's grace first, yeah. you know, and, and the second one is really taking ownership of genuinely what is happening in the present moment, being honest enough and real enough to admit that there is pain there mm -hmm. and to start moving towards that pain instead of away and from and from moving towards it then we, we start to get these incredible revelations which then lead actually to relief when you finally understand what's wrong mm -hmm. um and so you know there's a there is a well-known saying which is I'm not saying i think it's i don't know what scripture it is it's your kindness that leads us to repentance or is that a song i, I no, don't it's remember scripture, it's uh, romans chapter two i think Yes, his kindness, and this is what you start to experience that as you move towards your own pain mm -hmm. with compassion, and mm -hmm. um, you are then, you know, it, it actually ends up, it, it ends up feeling like this merciful experience, mm -hmm. and then from this place, then we can truly reach out with with deep empathy towards our children's pain. Yeah, that's uh, beautiful. Thanks, Elaine. Mm -hmm. And I know, Derek, we're coming up to the end, mm -hmm. but I know, you know, when we were talking about this before. One of the questions you had is, what would you encourage listeners to mm. to do to, to, to start taking this journey? Mm. And I was thinking about it, and, you know, what is God prompting you as a listener as you're listening to this? What's come up? What's surfaced? Because in my experience, he, God is, is looking to just surface things for us. And it could be when you're watching a movie. Could be when you're listening to a podcast. Could be when you see an image of something, and it's it's he's reminding you through those different ways he speaks. This could be a scripture, uh, but he always collaborates with us to reveal aspects of our lives that he wants to restore. And it could be that isolation. It could be that anger. You know. So, what is it that is being revealed to you as you listen? Um, because most likely, that's what he's asking you to take a look at. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So why don't we just finish with a wee pause mm. and actually give people, instead of just, let's just press stop now, you know, give people this uh, breath to say, you know, the things that Fenton mentioned there, about what's what's stirring, what's been raised, and even just a celebration of hope, the injection, spiritual injection, of hope, and and understanding that light, that understanding that can actually give you the, the you know a, a a vision of that 
there's there's where I need to go here. And I don't have to stay in the dungeon any longer. Defined by these prison walls. Uh, and so I and I, I am totally aware when I when I talk to you guys, the my respect for yourselves, for John, Stacey and the others. Uh, you know, these are the most courageous steps MD can take on earth. You know, we're, we're Absolutely. F- fighting in this way to be the first people in our family to to uh, to break certain patterns, to break uh, the chains that have been playing out generation to generation. So, let's just as before we close, can just give a bit of space. Because Jesus is standing at the door, knocking. He promises if we come to him with us, whatever this is for you, he will give us rest. Jesus, we just ask anything that's been raised, we give you permission. Instead of running, we ask you to meet us here in this place. And take these steps forward with you to allow this release to come for us. In Jesus' name. This has been the Freedom Fighter Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to connect with our services or you want more info or details about upcoming events, connect with us online at www.freedomfighter.life or drop us an email at info at freedomfighters.life Till next time, God bless you.